right. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of my weird little podcast. Um, it's me again, Tia. Today we have Patrick bringing us a surprise episode. So very excited about this. I have no idea what you're going to be talking about. Um, but yeah, go ahead. What what do you what are you bring, bringing for us? Um, to, today I'm ta- I I found this randomly, you know, in the rabbit holes of the internet. Um, Project X Ray. And you said you'd never heard of it, right? Um, I think I might have. I've heard of it, definitely, but I could not tell you anything about it. It's kind of a vague title, you know. It could be could be a lot of different things. Sounds like a superhero comic. <laughs> um, but um, basically, so I I got most of my information from uh, history. dot uh, com. It's actually dot com. dot uk. If you mm-hmm. want to find stuff that's about American history. Um, most other countries have great stuff about it because it's not filtered, <laughs> you know, so it's yeah. great to go to their, those UK sites. Um, but this one's kind of about um, animals, uh, combat animals. Um, so just, just I'll, I'll just give you like a, like a brief summary about it, you know, and then we'll talk about specifically what this project was. Um, but for um, basically, I guess, thousands of years, um, different animals have been used in combat um for different purposes not just to you know kill people or whatever um so like there's you know the horse obviously would be the first one that's probably the most popular one uh not just for like i said for fighting but for pulling things for cavalry for you, you know they sometimes they did make them like war horses and stuff and mm-hmm. actually put armor on top of them um there was also dogs were probably the second most used in throughout history anyway um but this one they they even bit like ancient greeks used dogs to fight off invaders um there was even um a couple of marcus aurelius even used a, a Molosian dog and they would coat them in protective armor and then huge, huge spiked collars on that them. That is a so, Malosian dog. I don't know what that is. Um, it's just, it's kind of like, um, I guess nowadays it'd be like a bull mastiff. This is this is a picture of a dog that would be clothed. This is not the same. Um, yeah, okay. it kind of looks like a lion. But okay. this one's wearing a... I'll, I'll post it when we'll, yeah when, yeah or yeah. describe just kind of i guess yeah bull mastiff would be the closest yeah it'd be the closest one basically like a large dog like irish wolfhounds were bred specifically to like fight bears you know to protect castles and stuff like that mm-hmm. so it's definitely um that's why i said this was probably the second most known um using dogs um they even um the lower than that would be lions um some some uh, like even I think it was a uh, yeah Ramses the second had a pet lion who apparently fought in the Battle of Kadesh, and, and uh, then Pliny the Elder who I've talked about before on the podcast he's like he was Pliny the Elder is actually the person who wrote about the first ghost. Mm-hmm. Um, this was way back when, uh, obviously, but it was, it, he was just wrote about it. You know, it's not necessarily evidence, but you know, it's the first supposed to ghost story was Pliny the Elder. Uh, but he actually also wrote about the use of pigs in, uh, war and some, apparently some of them, they would actually like back in like medieval times, they would light pigs on fire 
and then just send them out. Oh yeah, no, I've heard of that. Yeah. It's crazy, right? Yeah. Um, another one was um, they would use it to fight elephants um, because elephants, um, they, it's kind of like the age old story of the squeaking mouse that scares the elephant. The squealing of the pigs apparently was frightening the elephants and they would be frightened by the pigs and then just start stampeding and, you know, yeah. tossing people over. Uh, rhinoceroses were even used. I love this picture. This will definitely post, but you can see it has armor attached to it. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently it was used or, you know, it was su- supposedly used, um, but they actually have really bad eyesight. They're not like, they're not exactly great for war at all. You know, they, even the, the metal, the stuff they were carrying was kind of, once they put it on them, it was kind of like when you put a, a, a harness on a cat, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but also war elephants, like I said, those were used definitely um, a lot in uh, South Asia, uh, the Roman Empire, the Kingdom of Kush, and those were specifically carrying, they would carry large people on what is called a howda, which is like that huge, you know, the basket on top of the elephant were carrying all the people, mm-hmm. they could carry several people. Um, but then, of course, just large tusks, you know, that's a very aggressive animal when it needs to be, you know, and it's like a horse can be directed. Um, moving on to um, a little bit further on in history, that, that picture of the dog that I showed you, he was actually wearing a gas mask. Because um, back in like World War One, they would use the dogs to like hunt for soldiers that were, you know, wounded and stuff like that. But there was, some, you know, um, Agent Orange and stuff like that in the air. So they would actually have the dogs wearing gas masks. And the, there was dogs were also used um, as anti-tank weapons sometimes. Mm. So they would literally just strap bombs to them and have them run out and go find a target. That's terrible. Um, yeah, really terrible. A, another one, um, which kind of unfortunately leaves into our story um, eventually, but uh, back in um, uh, World War II, they did the same thing with rats, or at least that was the goal, was to strap explosives to rats, and then, you know, they would go and... Um, but the the real idea wasn't to just get rats to kill somebody, it was to get rats to, like, unexplosive thing like an ex- like a big gas canister or something like that you know it wasn't necessarily to take over people which is project x-ray it's for for me it, it seemed very bizarre until i learned more about combat animals um because today they use dolphins and otters and stuff to search for you know just search for missing people or search for weapons you know they don't necessarily use them as weapons but they are tactical mm-hmm. animals basically um, but this one is about the idea to drop bat bombs over Japan during World War II. And yes, I said bat bombs. And this <laughs> actually cost the government $2 million. And that was in World, World War II. That was, uh, what was it, 1949. So apparently nowadays that's the equivalent of $31 million. And the project went all the way to near deployment. It was good, going to be used. Mm-hmm. Um, until something else happened. But this was basically um, on December 7th, 1941, uh, Japan descended on the Pacific and, you know, Pearl Harbor happened. And this is kind of basically what awoke the military to kind of be like, we need to find a new weapon. 
you know, or something to fight back against these people, which is, you know, the Oppenheimer whole thing and everything as well. Um, so amongst the ranks of angry Americans after this was a dentist from Pennsylvania, uh, oh, sorry, from Pennsylvania called Little S. Adams. He had just come Can you back. Say that again? Little S. Adams. That's his name. Like his name is his name is L Y T L Little. Oh, okay. Kind of a cool okay. name. <laughs> Do you think it was Little Littles? <laughs> well, Little, Little is usually a last name, so I was like, um, or That's it's funny. like sounds like the name of like Shirley Temple's, you know. You know, co-star. <laughs> like, like like a character <laughs> name she would have. You know. Little S. Adams. That's funny. Um, so, yeah, he was a dentist from Pennsylvania, and he had just come back from Carlsbad Caverns National Park, uh, which is in New Mexico. Have, have you ever been? No, you know I've only been to New Mexico one time. Oh, that's true, yeah. Yeah, that's... <laughs> well, it's like, it's very outskirts New Mexico, like... Yeah. I think I've only I think I've only been one. You know those years I spent backpacking in New Mexico. That's true. Yeah. I about that. yeah. <laughs> Read about Tia's blog later on through New Mexico. Yeah. Um, but I've been I went when, when I was a kid with my family. It's massive. It is huge, and there are billions of bats. And that was that was back then. You know, there was tons of bats. So he was impressed apparently by the just the number of bats. And he was also impressed by the strength of their flight. Because um, if you haven't seen bats fly before, it's it's pretty intense. Like, they're incredibly quick. They move as a as a group very well. Mm-hmm. You would There's no way you're going to catch a bat, you know? Like, it's... I mean, you can't, obviously, but, you know, because they eventually They're really did, good, but... though, at, like, doing turns in the sky, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's crazy, too, because at night, you know, that's when other animals aren't d- good at that. But bats with their sonar are so, so impressive with that. And that would be good under the cover of darkness. Um, so it wasn't uh, long before the dentist tried to concoct an idea using this um, um, incentive on Japan. So he actually wrote a letter to uh, someone that he knew in the White House and that a person he knew was apparently First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt. So she took the idea straight to her husband, uh, Frank Roosevelt, who was the president, obviously. Um, And after discussing it with military personnel and scientists, Roosevelt decided to give it a go. He actually said, this man is not a nut. It sounds like a perfectly wild idea, but it is worth looking into. Mm. So what exactly was the idea? Adams suggested attaching bats with time incendiary bombs before dropping the animals over various Japanese cities just before dawn. The bats would then roost under the eaves of the buildings before exploding. And at the time, uh, the majority of Japanese buildings were made of um, wood, bamboo, like paper, basically kindling for an incendiary Mm. bomb. Um, so it was, it was not, the idea wasn't to cause massive explosions like the rats was. The idea was to just cause a fire because the fire would spread mm-hmm. um, because everything's made of paper and bamboo. Um, so, sorry, I went, so apparently it was supposed to actually go out over a circle of uh, 40 miles in, in diameter. And that was where every bomb was dropped. And they were going to be dropping hundreds of these. So it would have been devastating, you know, um, had it worked. 
<laughs> out, you know, to, to fruition, I guess. Mm-hmm. So they actually, um, they designated this as a U.S. Air Force project, and Little Adams was told to assemble the team. He was the head of it. And so the team's first job was to actually select the species of bat best suited for the task. Because obviously there's several different species that have different, you know, like a fruit bat you wouldn't want to send over there because they're kind of lazy bats. You know, they kind of just eat fruit and hang out. They're adorable, but you wouldn't want to send it into war. Um, so they immediately went out to basically they traveled all around the United States. And this is the 40s. So it wasn't like really that easy to go to cave to cave, you know, like Carlsbad Nash Caverns is it's kind of like almost like a hike just to get there. Most caverns, you have to take like a huge stairway or an elevator or something like that, you know. So and so it takes a long time just beyond just going from place to place. Uh, apparently, uh, Adams actually stated, we visited a thousand caves and three thousand mines. They were so, uh, the, the speed of the project was so imperative to them that they actually drove all day and all night. And they would just switch, you know, take turns. And they actually said that they covered over 350,000 miles just going from cave to cave and mine to mine. The one they ended up settling on was the Mexican freetail bat. And it's about four centimeters wide, weighs about 13 grams, uh, which would be the same as like a dollar coin. Um, and after the, they actually got permission from the National Park Service they went ahead and they started capturing thousands of these Mexican free-tailed bats. The next challenge the team faced was to design a bomb that was tiny enough for the bat to carry. And the bats were only able to carry a bomb that was basically their own body weight, which is still pretty strong, you know? I mean, that's that's not a massive explosive, but, like, it's supposed to just cause the fire. Um so the device they were carrying was supposed to be like 15 to 18 grams. So they had to get larger bats as well. Harvard chemist Louis Pfizer had just invented napalm, uh, which, if you're not familiar, is a highly flammable gel-like liquid um, that once it's ignited, it burns uncontrollably. Um, they used it in World War II uh, eventually, but he had just invented it. Um, yeah, if you've ever seen it, they're terrible, terrible machine- machines. Because um, it just sticks to you, and then oh. the fire just keeps going. Um, so a celluloid capsule was invented to house the uh, napalm-equipped time-delay fuse, and the devices were called H2 units. The units were stuck to the bats via an adhesive. Uh, this team then needed to work out how to deploy the bats from the aircraft, because, you know, like, they couldn't, like, you know, they're not like horses or elephants, you know, there's no real... There's no real way of guiding them at this point or training them because they're bats. And no, we still we still knew very little about it at the time and kind of kind of today. Um, so they already knew that lowering the temperature around the bats would send them into hibernation. So this proved to be an effective method to transport the creatures. They actually developed a bomb-shaped casing that was around five feet in length, and it housed numerous cooled circular trays inside. And the trays were designed like egg cartons for the tiny bats to be held in. And each bomb could hold about 1,040 bats. And, yeah, they actually look like, yeah, they're just like big. So they had a picture of it. It was just like a big, like, egg shape and then, like, several rows of 
like egg carton little holes holding a little bat. Mm-hmm. Um, so the bomb carriers were then equipped with a parachute that was designed to deploy at about a thousand feet above the ground. At that point, the sides of the carrier would just pop off. And the idea was that the bats would then have the time to wake up from their hibernation and fly off. Once they exit the carrier, the fuse on their incendiary device would be activated with a 30 minute timer. So the idea was to drop them at dawn uh, at a time when bats actually tend to roost um, because they're going back from hunting. Uh, The creatures would fly off in search of a spot to rest with uh, the Americans obviously hoping that that spot was a Japanese building of some importance or some lots of bamboo and paper. And the concept was really solid. And it, um, it was actually the, the implementation of it proved a challenge, but they were able to um, get the whole thing off the ground, literally being bats. Um, but getting the bats to wake from hibernation was not as easy as they thought. Um, many of them apparently died during testing as they plummeted to the ground, still asleep, uh, uh, still actually asleep, mm. which is sad. Uh, in one incident, armed bats were accidentally released, which led to the burning down of an airbase in New Mexico. Proof of that project was onto something, but senior officials were beginning to lose patience. In late 1943, the project was handed to the Marines, who then relabeled it Project X-Ray. After some fine-tuning, successful drops, the bat bombs were conducted over fake Japanese cities created at test sites in Utah, which I would love to check out if that's still a thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like yeah, the, um, no. I mean, they did that out here in, in Las Vegas where they made fake cities and blew them up, you know. For the atomic bomb, that's right. Yeah, yeah. where they had the mannequins in the houses and everything, you know, mm-hmm. that... It was pretty eerie to see that at the uh, Atomic Museum, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah. Um, so a reasonable number of destructive fires can be started in spite of the extremely small size of their units. And this was being written by the chief of the incendiary testing. The main advantage of the units would seem to be their placement within the enemy structures without the knowledge of the householder or fire watchers, thus allowing the fire to establish itself before being discovered. Just when it seemed the bats were finally ready for deployment, the project was mothballed. And I didn't invent the mothballed line, but of course. (laughs) Uh, Senior officials had decided to throw their weight behind another secret project, which was in development, the atomic bomb. And so, literally, the next project after Project X-Ray was the Manhattan Project. So, if we had never done the atomic bomb, we would have sent over thousands of bats to Japan. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's it's crazy knowing that animals are still used today. It's good to know that there's some type of restriction on it. Yeah. You know, like, like you can't just send a dolphin with a bomb on it to, anymore, you know? Like, but back in the day, there was just zero rules i mean there's the rules are still loose today but yeah it's really interesting that this was an idea in the 40s so what what are they working on now with animals <laughs> you know yeah yeah and then the, they, what are they, they? they did the you same know what thing they're working on now with animals no i mean most of the stuff that i t- told you was just the. i mean the dolphins otters stuff like that 
um, what was another one? Project Pigeon was the exact same thing, but that was yeah. used to guide bombs. So the pigeons were supposed to, they were located, so they would fly to a city and the bomb was supposed to follow the pigeon. Mm-hmm. Um, but animal-borne bombs have been used uh, in the Middle East, like in Iraq. Mm-hmm. They would put bombs on dogs, cats, whatever, you know. I mean, people were blowing themselves up uh, in Iraq. But yeah, nothing, I mean, nothing much today as far as like um, using them as a weapon, you know. And camels are still widely used, especially in the Middle East, because they just carry a lot of stuff, you know. Yeah. But most of the animals, they like the rhino, they wanted to make it fight. And it's like, that's, it's, it's not its nature, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, elephants are used, you know, because they're so massive, you know, but if they're scared by a squealing pig, you know, it's not really an effective weapon at that point, you know. Yeah. But it's very... It's very interesting to know that obviously these projects still exist and it's some like some dentist was like, this would be a crazy idea and wrote mm-hmm. wrote the first lady of, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt. And so who knows, you know, I guess as long as you have like a connection to somebody, you know, you might get your project off the ground. But I mean, it's a great, it's a crazy idea. And if you've been to Carlsbad Caverns, if you imagine, you know, millions upon millions of bats going into Japan like that. That that would be crazy if it worked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, that was Project Ekre. It was kind of, kind of short and sweet. Um, there isn't more really to it because they just stopped doing it. Or at least so so Wikipedia and history.co.uk. So, so they say publicly. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for bringing the story. I just noticed I have a little bat here in the background. Oh, nice, nice. My little shelf here. Um, but uh, yeah, if, if you like that story, you want to hear more, please like, share, subscribe. You know, like I say, uh, if you uh, have a particular thing you want to listen to uh, and have us cover, please email us at myweirdlittlepodcast at gmail.com. Um, if you have any stories you think would be appropriate for the sister podcast, Hollywood's Haunted, hhthepodcast at gmail.com. Find me on social media. You know how to get a hold of me. You can find me. Um, so uh, <laughs> like, share, subscribe, like I always say, and stay spooky. <laughs>